Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to look today. I want you to know my prayer has been in going through the book of Acts that these moments that we experience strong and bold, uh, his presence would become commonplace in this refuge of grace. Um, and it, is only, it only happens whenever we dive in uh, to worship and when we experience him through the power of his word. Um, I say a lot, we beg God to speak to us But the truth is, he has spoken to us. Uh, One of the best ways that God has spoken to us is through his word. And we can't ask God to speak outside of his word until we have gotten into his word. Uh, it It is vital for us as his believers to take that which God has given to us, his word, and the miracle of how this has been preserved through uh, the centuries And that we take it as truly the bread of life that he has blessed us with. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 6 this morning. Uh, We're going to continue looking at um, uh, our study of the book of Acts. And then what that looks like in the early church. And then why that is vital for us here in this refuge of grace. And so we're going to look at Acts. um, We'll... um, Let's go to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, we'll, go to, we'll go there, and then we're going to skip around a little bit. Um, so I just want to encourage you to follow along with me. So it's Acts chapter 6, verse 8. So uh, uh, we'll just dive into this. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So as I read this passage of Scripture, I prayed wholeheartedly this week that God would raise up within, within this body a Stephen. That God would raise up somebody who was full of God's grace and power. And then the outcome of a man or woman, and a person, I guess is the better way to say that. Um, because God is not a respecter of persons. And he has spoken through men and women throughout the, all of time here on the earth. He, at one point he even spoke through a donkey. And so if God can speak through a donkey, surely he can use some men and women uh, in, in today's world. Uh, But I have prayed wholeheartedly that we would see people raised up in this refuge of grace that are full of God's grace and full of his power. And then here's the beautiful thing of what we see here in this early believers. Now remember, remember, Stephen was just one of the ones chosen that we read about last week in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. So as the needs arose in the church... And then as the church began to meet these needs, there arose a dissension, a strong disagreement. 
And then it was out of this disagreement that they chose Stephen as one of the seven to actually minister in the body of believers. And so what we see taking place here is out of some uh, disagreement and out of some dis, uh, disunity in the body, God allowed Stephen to come to the top. And here we see in verse 8 that Stephen was a man of grace and a man of power. And then the result of that man being elevated by God, he was used by God, full of God's grace and full of God's power. He wasn't operating on the, the apostles' grace because the apostles had no grace. The, uh, Stephen was operating on Jesus' grace that he gave. And then he was operating on the Holy Spirit's power. So do you remember the word here, power, is important because it links back to what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. Stephen was operating on the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus reminded the apostles of what he had taught. You are going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. After the Holy Spirit arrives, and we saw that happen where the Holy Spirit came. And this word power here is a direct correlation, a connection, if you will, or a better way to think about it is an extension cord back to Jesus' words of the power that the Holy Spirit brings. And so it's important for us to catch that here in this refuge of grace that Stephen is not coming to power because he was selected by the twelve. He came to power because he was operating on the Holy Spirit's power. So you see, the Holy Spirit's power is what propelled Stephen forward in life. And when you're connected to the right power source, then you're never going to run out of power, as long as it's the Holy Spirit's power. Uh, let's go back to Scripture. I'll save that for later. So Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. The reason the miraculous signs and the great wonders came about, because Stephen was full of grace and full of the Holy Spirit's power. And so as I have prayed for God to elevate people full of grace and full of power, a result, a direct result, are that these things are going to begin to follow. But we don't get these things, the miraculous signs and the great wonders, without being full of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. That's how a refuge of grace has to operate. You've got to have the right, full, the, the right uh, source of power. Verse 9. Opposition arose, however. Now, I hate that, right? Because things are going great. And despite the apostles, uh, two of the apostles getting arrested... And then the persecution coming, and then a person getting healed before that, which caused them to actually get arrested. There were people that were getting saved daily, and God was adding to the church. Then some division arose. They settled that. Stephen was one of the seven that were elevated. And then what we see is a multitude of people continue to give their life to Jesus because they were operating on God's grace and on God's power. But then we get to verse 9, and just two simple words really change what's happening here. Opposition arose. And we're going to see what that opposition looks like today. So verse 9, opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the providences of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Again, Stephen's operating on the Holy Spirit's power. He's not doing the speaking, but the Holy Spirit's doing it through them. Verse 11, 
Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak against or speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, pro- they produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently as Stephen and they, at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Probably a better translation there, and I'm not a translation expert, but where it says his face was like the face of an angel, probably a better translation there is the face as one who was a messenger direct from heaven. One who had the face that was like he was a messenger from heaven. Well, how do you get to that place? You go back to verse 8 and you see that Stephen was full of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. Now, I want to ask you to turn over with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to get there in just a couple of minutes. And we're going to see how these actually all come and link together. Stephen rises to power. He's obviously operating under the direction of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace. Many, many amazing things. Miracles are beginning to happen. Opposition arose. And so what we have to do is we have to examine this passage of Scripture to see what's going on so that we can glean from the circumstances here that allows the Holy Spirit to fuel us in our life right here in 2023. What we have to remember is my favorite passage of Scripture, John 10.10. This is the battle that's taking place here in uh, Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7. Jesus said these words, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is the thief here in this passage of Scripture rising up against Stephen. So when Stephen operates under God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, the enemy wants to stop that. And so the enemy, who does not play fair, by the way, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life, the enemy gets some people to lie against Stephen. And tell the opposite of what Stephen is doing. There's a little bit of partial truths that are mixed inside of this. And then all of Acts chapter 7 is the message, an amazing sermon that Stephen then begins to preach. I'm not going to read through all of Acts chapter 7. I want to encourage you to do that on your own time. So then that way you can see, and Peter, or I'm sorry, uh, Stephen goes back and he lays everything back. All the way back to Moses. He then goes through the patriarchs. He goes through the prophets. He goes through the time of Jesus. He goes through the arrival of the Holy Spirit and leads the Sanhedrin and all of the court that is actually listening all the way up to the present moment. And then he turns it around and he calls them a bunch of stiff-necked people. (laughs) Now, I just want to say this. If you ever get so bold as to call someone stiff-necked, you better be operating under the Holy Spirit's power, right? (laughs) And that's what Stephen does here. 
Because he understands completely that it is the thief, the enemy, Satan himself, who comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And it was at this moment, because Stephen was operating under God's grace and under the power of the Holy Spirit, that Stephen knew, hey, this isn't a personal battle that I'm fighting. This isn't my kingdom that I'm fighting for. Instead, I'm fighting because I'm a part of God's kingdom that he came to establish when he died on the cross, when he was resurrected, when he ascended, and then the Holy Spirit came. Stephen knew that it wasn't personal with him and those that were lying in the Sanhedrin. He knew that it was the enemy that was doing the fighting against what God was doing in and then through Stephen. And so that was the boldness that Stephen preached and told the story and told the gospel and all that God had been doing in in Acts chapter 7. Stephen was able to call them stiff-necked people because it wasn't Stephen's words. It was instead the Holy Spirit that was speaking through Stephen. Again, Acts chapter 6, verse number 8 says, I'll, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but listen. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. We need some people full of God's grace and power in this world today. Listen, Volusia County needs some people that are full of God's grace and God's power. And we need churches that are radically changed, that stop operating in the wisdom of men and whatever works in the world so that we go back to operating with God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. This is what the world needs, and this is the only thing that can drive out the darkness and the sin of this world. When we, in this refuge of grace, stand up and say, I'm going to stop operating with my wisdom. I'm going to stop doing what I think is best, and instead I'm going to yield to God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, and whatever he says, even if it means we start calling people stiff-necked people. But opposition arose. Opposition arose. Now, I don't know how you are, but I hate any type of disunity, and I hate any type of opposition. I just don't like it. And I, it, just, it just works against, I think, God's spirit that is inside of me. And I sometimes step into a situation to be the peacemaker and to actually resolve things because I just hate what the enemy does in stealing, in killing, and destroying. But you know what? Jesus warned these apostles that were there when he was with them that this was going to happen. In John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, Jesus said, and this is the judgment. Jesus, these are Jesus' words. This is the judgment, Jesus said. The light has come into the world. That's Jesus. It now operates, Jesus, God, now operates through the Holy Spirit. The light has come into the world. And listen, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is what Stephen understood, and he knew the battle that was taking place. It goes on to say, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, God, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. This world is at odds with itself. We and operating in God's kingdom and seeking to walk with him as he builds his kingdom, as kingdom builders, we have to know that the kingdom of darkness is at odds against the kingdom of light. 
And we have to be people who don't operate with the same power and mindset that is at work in this world in darkness. Instead, we have to operate with a kingdom mindset full of God's grace and directed by the Holy Spirit's power in the way that Stephen actually was here. And it's easy. It's easy to forget this. The flesh diverts to operating with the mindset of darkness and the mindset of this world. And then we start to pursue a path of people-pleasing instead of doing God's work as his vessels. And so we come back and we think, okay, how can we start to align things in our life? And how can we align things at work? And how can we order our family? And how can we set up the church so it begins to appease some people? And we do it with great intentions. But God did not call us to be people pleasers that operate with the wisdom of the world. He called us into his kingdom, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, full of God's grace. And directed by the Holy Spirit's power. But here's where Stephen was operating. Before Stephen got into this moment where he was called into the Sanhedrin, Stephen made up his mind before he got to that moment. Now we get to this passage of Scripture, and as we would then get into uh, Acts chapter 7, and Stephen begins his sermon and directing this Sanhedrin to the heirs of their ways. Stephen did not get to this moment and then have to make a decision. That decision was made well before Stephen was called into the Sanhedrin. Because it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. Stephen had his mind made up. Now listen, and I want you to catch this. If you wait to get to the moment, like Stephen is in, to make a decision... Your flesh is always going to drag you into darkness. Because when opposition or persecution comes, the flesh says, I can't take this. This will be okay. I can ask God's forgiveness later on. That's the flesh speaking. But Stephen did not have to have that conversation with self whenever the persecution arose. He had already made up his mind, I am going to be a man full of God's grace and Holy Spirit's power. So that when opposition comes, my mind is already made up. I have already determined the outcome from any situation that the enemy wants to bring into my life. If you come face to face with the thief who wants to steal, to kill, and destroy, it would be easy to make a decision. But the thief doesn't always show up. Sometimes it's just a neighbor. Right? Sometimes the thief uses a family member. Sometimes a thief uses somebody at work. And God help us, somebody, sometimes the thief uses somebody religious. And if you wait to the moment to have a conversation with yourself and try to make a decision in the moment, Nine times out of ten, darkness is going to win. And that's why it's vital for you to gather together in a refuge of grace with a body of believers. So that when persecution does come, your mind's already made up. And you know, I'm going to be able to overcome what the enemy is doing through a neighbor, 
through a family member, through somebody at work, or even some type of religious person. I'm going to see what the enemy's doing, and I'm going to be full of grace, and I'm go- of God's grace, and I'm going to be full of the Holy Spirit's power. And I am going to live out the fulfillment of Jesus' words in John 10, 10, so that I then am living a life to the full, or a life abundant, and I'm not going to let the thief steal, kill, and destroy. You've got to make up your mind before you get to this situation. That's what Stephen had done here. Do you know what the, I think the beautiful thing of life with Jesus is about? This abundant life, this full life that Stephen was living here despite the opposition and the persecution is that Jesus promised he would not leave us helpless. Amen? He said, I'm going to give you a helper. I'm going to give you a comforter so that when persecution comes, you're not going to be comforted by licking your own wounds and you don't have to be comforted in darkness by the enemy. Instead, you can take the helper, the comforter, the one who empowered Stephen, the one who was with God in creation, the Holy Spirit that he now has filled us with to empower us so that we can experience the abundant full life that he desires for us. The, the question that we have to have in our life, the question that we have to answer is how is it that we overcome with the helper by our side? And that's why I want to direct you to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter was here in this moment. Peter was in the middle of watching this persecution. We skipped down to the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 of Acts. We would see that Stephen was eventually stoned to death, which you might expect if you start calling the Sanhedrin a bunch of stiff-necked people, right? I mean, these were some powerful guys. These were the religious body decision makers that there were. And he called them out because he, he said, you, you crucified the prophets that were foretelling that God was coming in the flesh. And then you actually crucified the one who did come in the flesh. You're a bunch of stiff-necked people. Stephen was eventually stoned to death. Pastor Jordan pointed out a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, when he preached for us, of who some of these people were in the Sanhedrin. And one was a mentor to a guy by the name of Saul that we would eventually see comes under the power of God's grace and Holy Spirit. And then he has a radical transformation that then took the gospel to all of the Gentiles. But it was here that the enemy was using Saul to stone Stephen. Peter was here, and Peter was watching all of this. Peter saw one of the ones that the twelve had chosen, of these seven, actually be stoned to death. But yet Peter writes 1 Peter 3, chapter 8. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you. Now remember, Peter watched the stoning. Peter experienced it. Peter was arrested. Peter, who would eventually, after writing this a short time, be crucified. So he knew what he was writing about here. Peter says, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. 
Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 13. But who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, Peter was writing to a group of people that had lost their homes. They had lost their family. They had experienced this type of persecution that Stephen had experienced. These are the group of people that had watched people give their lives just because they said, I believe that Jesus was who he said he was. And I believe the truth that Jesus taught. And my life has been changed. And I have surrendered completely to him. And you would think in reading this passage of scripture that Peter is saying, hey, you've just got to be some passive person and let everybody run all over you. But that's not what Peter was doing. Peter was not saying just sit back and take whatever they throw at you. Peter was giving some direction for our spirit and how we should live and how the Lord has ordered our steps that we should follow whenever persecution and opposition arises. And I want you to catch this. It's not in here. Um, this verse isn't in here, but I want you to catch it. I have, I have um, looked up this verse, 1 Peter 3.8, in the New English Translation. And I've taken the five key things that Peter talks about in this from the way it's translated in the New English Translation. And these five key things are what we have to apply whenever there is opposition coming against us because of our faith. Peter says, I want you to be harmonious. You've got to be in harmony. Then you have to be sympathetic. You have to be affectionate. You have to be compassionate. And you have to be humble. Now, this is Peter's steps whenever you face opposition because of your faith. The title and the heading of, of this section in my Bible says, It's Suffering for Doing Good. And so I want to look at these five things real fast. We're going to spend about two or three minutes on each one of these. So then that way, we can know how we should live in the face of opposition. The first is harmonious. Uh, now, another way that we could actually frame this, if you will, is unity. And I love this because this is one of the ways that God has called us or instructed us. One of the dreams that God has for us here at Whitechapel Church, that we would be a body of believers that live in unity or live harmonious with each other. Harmonious, together. And what this is a symbol of is there is a bond that takes place. Now watch, Stephen, whenever the opposition came, he was standing there in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8. He was standing there knowing that he wasn't doing it all on his own. He was full of God's grace and he was full of God's power. And if you are full of God's grace and you count yourself as a son and daughter, then there are more people that are a part of the kingdom that you are a part of than there are that are part of the enemy's kingdom. 
So whenever we face opposition, we don't do it on our own. We do it in unity. We do it in harmony with all of the believers. And that's why Stephen is able to stand before the Sanhedrin and he is able to call them out, lay out everything that God had done all throughout time up until that moment and then say, you're just stiff-necked people. You killed everyone who told about God and then you actually killed God. He was standing there, not all alone, but he was standing there united in a bond of people that were a part of the kingdom of God. You know what the lie of the enemy is? Every time, every time persecution comes, you know what the enemy wants to tell you? You're all alone. There's nobody on your side. And then he wants us to gather all by ourselves in some corner or in a room or wherever, in our car, wherever. And he wants us to feel all alone so that we can lick our own wounds instead of turning to the comforter that God has actually given to us. And it's in these moments when we begin to focus on self and lick the wounds that we have that we forget the bond that we have in this refuge of grace. Listen, when you are persecuted or when opposition comes wherever you're at, know this, you are not standing on your own, but you are standing with this body of believers who can support you. And that's why you have to be here with this group of people. Because the enemy wants you to be alone so that he can bring opposition to destroy you. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And when you're alone, he has a better chance of destroying you. You've got to be harmonious in unity with each other. That's a refuge of grace at work. And that's, that's why you've got to be a part of a refuge of grace. So we've got harmonious, and the next is sympathetic. Now, I wrestled with this word sympathetic, and I, I actually went back and, and I tried to do a word study on sympathetic. I tried to look up what, what Peter was actually saying here in sympathetic. And where I landed is, do you know what the opposite of sympathy is? It's apathy. It's apathy. You know what the enemy will do when he wants to destroy you? He'll get you to a place to where you finally say, you know what, I just don't care. Whatever they want to do, just let them go do it. Whatever happens, I'm fine, just let it happen. You know what the opposite of sympathy is? You don't care. You just don't care. You give up. It's indifference. And you know what? Apathy can seem innocent sometimes. We think, oh, being apathetic is the right thing to do. Because when you're apathetic, it doesn't do anything bad, right? When you're apathetic, there is no call to action for you. It doesn't do bad things. In fact, it just doesn't do anything at all. When you're apathetic, you're immobilized. Apathy ignores things. It It lets everybody else handle the load. And you know what? Stephen was sympathetic because he saw the Sanhedrin that was lost and undone in their sin. And Stephen Stephen was sympathetic with them. And Stephen said, it might, Stephen I'm sure was thinking this, it might get me killed for what I'm about to say, but I made up my mind long before I got to this moment that I'm going to be full of God's grace and I'm going to be full of the Holy Spirit's power. And if they kill me, they kill me. But I am so sympathetic with people that are lost and undone in their sin, I can't let them stay that way. Stephen was not apathetic standing before the Sanhedrin. 
Stephen said, I am sympathetic with them. And if they kill me, they kill me. But I've got to tell them the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I know the one who came to give us life abundant here on earth and then went to prepare a place for us for all of eternity. Stephen was sympathetic and Peter knew it. And that's why he reminded the crowd, you can't let your soul get to the point of being apathetic with what is around us. And you know what's happened in the church in America today? We've let the enemy lull us to sleep. He has stood before us directing us like an orchestra and we have become an apathetic body when we look at those that are not a part of us. And I've prayed, I've prayed that God would raise up a group of people in this place that are full of God's grace and are full of God's power, and they are sympathetic to those who do not know Jesus Christ. You've got to be harmonious with a group of people, and that group of people, and living in harmony and unity with them, they will lead you, because as we march in building his kingdom, they will lead you to the point of being sympathetic for those who do not know Jesus Christ. Kill me if you want. Kill me if you want, was Stephen's mindset. But I can't let you stay where you're at in darkness. And they killed him. They killed him. But Stephen was obedient to what God had called him to do. See, Stephen said, or Stephen did not get to that moment. He made up his mind long before he got there. And Stephen did not get there and say, I don't care. Stephen did not get there and say, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. You see the conflict between sympathy and apathy? And in a church, in a world that is suffering, that's why Peter wrote, love as brothers and sisters. The next thing is, you've got to be affectionate. You've got to be affectionate, or you've got to be compassionate here. Let's, let's put those two together. You've got to be affectionate. You've got to be compassionate. And Peter said, you've got to love everybody. Everybody, And that's what Stephen was putting on display in Acts chapter 7 whenever he was preaching this message to those who would eventually kill him. He was affectionate about their soul. He was compassionate about their soul. It, uh, Stephen's, heart, uh, Stephen's heart was aching because their heart was lost and undone. Stephen hurt, and he allowed that affection for their soul, and he allowed that compassion for their soul to drive him to action. You see, when you're full of God's grace and you're full of God's power, your heart begins to ache when somebody else's heart aches. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37. He went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because of where they were at, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Listen, Refuge of Grace, Whitechapel Church. The harvest in Volusia County is plentiful, 
There are so many people, if you would just be affectionate and compassionate about their soul, if you would just see them through the eyes of Jesus, there are so many people who need the message that we preach, but yet we've lost our compassion, and yet we have lost our affection for their soul. Stephen said, kill me if you want, but I'm not going to let you stay there. I've got to tell you who Jesus was and how he can change your life. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Stephen wanted them to experience the abundant full life. You see, this is not a compassion of the world. This is not a compassion that the world gives. Because the compassion the world gives is a selfish compassion. It's how can you meet my needs? What can you do for me? And we have allowed relationships, we've allowed marriages, and we've allowed families to be destroyed by this dark compassion that is not in God's will and alignment with the abundant life that he has. You see, Stephen had a selfless compassion. He had a selfless affection for those who were going to eventually kill him. And he said, I'm fine with that because I'm not here on self-orders. I am here full of God's grace and I am here full of God's power and I am going to be obedient to the light that has rescued me. You see, this world doesn't have a lot of compassion. Not, not a lot of compassion at all. We see that in discussions on politics. We see that when it comes to discussions on upper class, middle class, lower class. We see that when it comes to our daily life and how we live and how we work and how we play, if you will. We see that in battles and discussions about race. And what this world needs and the answers to the ails and the darkness of this world is a church that is fueled with the compassion of Jesus Christ and the affection of Jesus Christ that was on full display when Stephen was standing before the Sanhedrin. God needs us to stand and be people full of God's grace and full of the Holy Spirit's power. And the last word, the last word, is humble. We have to be in unity and harmonious together. We've got to be sympathetic. We've got to be affectionate. We've got to be compassionate. And yet, we have to be humble. We've got to be humble. And I find this word humble so interesting that Peter would throw this word in here. Peter, who witnessed Stephen being stoned and had to think in that moment, if they did this to Stephen... They're probably going to come after me next. I mean, they killed the leader, Jesus Christ. And then they start doing that as persecution continues to increase. And as the opposition only gets greater and greater and greater, Peter says, I want you to be humble. And we would read Acts chapter 7, Peter's words, and think, oh, he was not humble. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Stephen's words, and we would think, oh, he was not humble at all. You start calling people stiff-necked, there's no humility in that. But there was, because it was a kingdom humbleness instead of a humbleness the way that the world has defined this. You see, whenever we operate with the world's humbleness, we sometimes think 
boy, I've really sacrificed for those people. And instead of reaching our hand with affection and compassion, we take that same hand and we start to pat ourselves on the back. And we think, oh, it's okay, because I have done so much. And you hear the word that's used there? It's I. It's me. Look what I've been able to do. Look what I've been able to accomplish. And whenever we start looking in the mirror at ourselves, we stop looking at God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. Stephen did not preach in Acts chapter 7 about himself. He did not focus on himself. He was so humble that he was not even a part of the conversation. Because he was moved with sympathy, affection, and compassion. Because he knew the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the ones in front of him needed Jesus Christ. I want you to write this down. or Take a photo of it or uh, jot it somewhere. Compassion and humility work hand in hand to put us on the same page and the same mission. We've got to be people operating the way that Peter encourages us and the way that Stephen operated before the Sanhedrin. And it takes compassion and humility hand in hand together because that's what puts us on the same page and that's what puts us on the same mission. Because it's when we are compassionate people, when we are humble people, we stop focusing on ourselves and we start focusing on other people who need Jesus Christ. And whenever we are compassionate and whenever we are humble, that's the point that we're on the same page and we've got the same mission. You see, a refuge of grace is never about us. It's always about him. And the agenda is his agenda. It's not our agenda. And so it's at this point that we start to say, what I like and what I want is not even a part of the conversation. Because it's what he wants to be on the agenda. It's what he wants and how he directs. And it's when we are compassionate and we are humble, when they merge together, that's when, that's when the kingdom mission and this refuge of grace will always, always, always win. They put us in harmony with each other. So I want to ask you, to take this pledge with me today. That you would live out the words that Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 37, when he said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, he didn't end the sentence there. He said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him, that's Jesus, that loved us. And so I want to ask you to take that pledge today. That you are going to live a life like Stephen. Full of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power. So that you can be who God desires for you to be. Not focusing here on self. But instead focusing on him and his kingdom. Do you know what I love? Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
These are Jesus' words to Paul. Paul's wrestling with Jesus, and he's saying, listen, I've got a problem in my life, and you've got to take this problem away. Paul would say, I, I begged God three times, and God didn't take it away. And this is what Jesus said. My grace, Jesus' grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You see, we could say my power is made perfect in humility. It's made perfect in compassion. It's made perfect in affection. It's made perfect in sympathy. It's made perfect in unity. So then I will boast, Paul now saying, I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. You remember I told you that God did not leave us helpless? He gave you his Holy Spirit so that in weakness, his strength, his strength rises to the top to take control so that we can then operate out of our weakness. This is what was on display with Stephen. You know, I think that I think that it's easy for us to look in the mirror instead of looking at him. If we were standing where Stephen was at, uh, uh, let me change that. If I were standing where Stephen was at, you better believe I'm going to start charting in my mind a way to get out of that situation. That, that's how my flesh works. I want to figure it out. I want to get out of there. But Stephen didn't do that. And I think that some of us have maybe faced a little bit of opposition in our life when we come to Jesus Christ. And we think, I can just hold on a little bit longer. God's going to take care of them. That's not how Stephen operated. Stephen operated full of God's grace and full of the Holy Spirit's power. And I want to ask you to make that commitment or take that pledge today that you're going to be a people who operate with God's grace and with the Holy Spirit's power. And remember, before opposition or problem comes, you've got to make up your mind before that moment. Because the flesh, my flesh, will chart a, chart a course out. And you won't be able to operate under the Holy Spirit's power and God's grace in that moment. So this is the moment where you make that decision. This is the moment that you make up your mind and you say, I'm going to be God's person, full of God's grace and full of the Holy Spirit's power. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.